Well, welcome everybody. We are here with a very dear friend of mine, Jared Sparks, and we're starting a new series where we're interviewing people about specific topics. And today we're going to talk about what might be controversial, but I think is a very important conversation, the five biggest sins of the church. So we hope you guys will enjoy it. Well, welcome to our first, you're our inaugural interview. So it's it's an honor. I've appreciated the show and you guys are doing a great job. So it's, it's an honor honor to be here. Yeah. So, um, before we get started, I think everybody would like to know who you are. So let's get a quick elevator speech and, Mm um, and kind of tell us who you are, what your history is and all of that stuff. And pull your microphone in a little bit. Yeah, we'll do. My name's Jared Sparks. I've been a pastor for 15 years now. Time just, you know, we're at the age where you think something happened a couple years ago, and then you look back and you realize it's 10 years ago yeah. when that thing happened. Yeah. And been in, so been in ministry for 15 years and uh, was, was a Christian at an early age. And I was fortunate to live in an environment where everybody that I knew was Christian brothers. And, mm-hmm. and they encouraged me, and the peer pressure was a good peer pressure. We, we, uh, uh, my sisters and I, we went to Christian school. That's where we actually yep. met is in basketball. And so, uh, grew up in this area, went away to college, went to Pentecostal Holiness College down in Eastern Tennessee and, yep. and then ended up working with Southern Baptists in the summertime. So I was in two different worlds that were a little bit nervous Those about are very drastically each other. Worlds. Yeah. <laughs> Both kind of barely thought the other was saved is kind yes. of how it yep. works. And, uh, so after, after college, I moved back here and, Started pastoring, started a church, and and God bless that. That's when I met my wife Jordan. So Jordan and I met in 2009, and we're married in 2010. So it was a, a little bit quick. I think it was mm-hmm. 13 months since we met each other to when we got married, and uh, then just we've been in Southern Illinois ever since. We have four children now, and love our children, and and having a blast with that, and having a blast pastoring our church. And uh, I got a great group of co-pastors that pastor with me. And so it's a lot of fun. Started hunting a few years ago and really enjoy that. And, it, you know, it's stage of life where you don't really get a whole lot of hobbies. You have to narrow down what you do and when you do it. And uh, so uh, the hunting is kind of my thing now. Run a little bit and uh, haven't played basketball in a good seven or eight years. So <laughs> <laughs> my uh, my it, it, my uh, connection to basketball is my 11 year old started playing basketball. Okay. He's on two different teams and playing all the time. So mm-hmm. I get to kind of watch and be like, you know, hey impart some of the wisdom I have from I used to do that yeah yeah (laughs) yeah exactly exactly so um so that's fun and I think we have similarly aged children you know we have a 11 8 and a three-year-old foster daughter and then Mm -hmm. you guys just had yeah we just had one so we have Ransom who's here with us actually sitting over there he's the uh, the live audience today Ransom and then Valor who is about to turn six so Ransom's nine Valor's six Providence has just turned three which is a a big uh, rite of passage in our family because a three-year-old gets to chew gum Ooh, and it's a big deal. So she got big, gum. Big, big crossover there. And in the first day of her chewing gum, we found gum everywhere. I found. I went to bed that night, and I pulled up the sheets, and there was a piece of gum right there in our bed. So just <laughs> kind of how it goes. There's a learning curve to chewing yep, gum. Yep. And then Oak was just born. Oak is six week old. Uh, six weeks old tomorrow. So yep. he's he's doing well. So a quick question, because yeah. a lot of people probably ask this. Um, 
the uniqueness of the names. They're oh, very yeah. cool, yeah. but what, what's behind yeah. the uniqueness of the names of your children? Well, it's very uh, puritanical. So the Puritans picked word names that were were just names that had meaning, but theological terms or words that were you know just words they appreciated. So in the uh, for instance, on the way over the pilgrims, the original pilgrims, the I believe it was 103 that were on the Mayflower. There was two babies that were born, and one was named Oceanus, and her older sister name was Remember. Mm. Remember is a, a name. And then on the Mayflower, there were also two boys that were named Love and Wrestling. So how about that for a name? Wow. If you're looking for a name out there, Wrestling. Wrestling. wrestling that's right. <laughs> so Ransom came along, and we had a family history of the name Ransom. So four great-grandfathers ago, uh, if you go back four generations, there's a Ransom Sparks. And then it just had a biblical name as well as Jesus, you know, dying in our place. He yep. came as to be a Ransom for many. And uh, so... That fit right in line with a couple things that we were we were wanting, and then Valor came along, and we I were reading through the book of First uh, or reading through the Judges, and we get to Judges chapters uh, six, seven, and eight, I believe. You get the story of Gideon, mm-hmm. and so Gideon is hiding in the wine press, and God says, uh, "I see you, mighty man of valor." He calls him mighty and calls him up into this courageous mm-hmm. work of being a judge and and rescuing and saving God God's people, and then with Providence, we we love the term Providence, and we love God's sovereignty, and and uh, see the, the bigness of God in the scriptures and his providential reign and rule over history and future and, mm-hmm. and present. And so these are word names that we liked. And then with Oak, we uh, it was funny. We were driving around and we thought Ransom was talking about my father's dog. And he thought that my father's dog's name was Oak. And we were laughing because that wasn't even close. It's, <laughs> It's Alvy Dog. So we got a good kick out of that. We were like, wait a minute, that Oak, that's a cool name. Yeah. We should, Oak, and then I thought of Isaiah 61, Oaks of Righteousness. Mm. So uh, they shall be called Oaks of Righteousness, talking about the new covenant, this longing of the Spirit coming and dwelling in, uh, in God's people. And so it was just kind of a natural thing for us. We got word names that mean something, and then after you say it enough, it sounds like a name. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't at first, but then eventually, you know, yep. each of them end up sounding like names. Yep, so. yep. And uh, he's got a cool middle name, Stonewall. Oak Stonewall, so, that's yes, right. So Stonewall cool. Jackson, I'm an admirer of him. Uh, he's a great war general, and and uh, you know you can, you know certainly get into the dicey questions about you know fighting for the South, but uh, he was a man of courage and he loved God, and, yep. and uh, so I, I admire men that can stand in the face of enemies and and stand with courage, and that's what we want for him is is Oak to be a courageous boy. That's very so. cool. Yeah, Stonewall Jackson actually the the North didn't start winning the war until after he died. Yeah, there you go. That's right. So and was... Lee, I, I just last year, General Lee actually uh, regretted uh, he had an opportunity. Uh, Stonewall wanted to go and rush Washington D.C., and he had an opportunity to go and rush and, and actually win the war early on. And, uh, and Lee said no. And one of the things that got Lee over and over again was passivity with decision making, mm-hmm. and he would let he, he didn't want to push. And uh, Stonewall. Actually, I, I am a more of a Stonewall fan than Lee, <laughs> yeah. but uh, but that was one of his dying regrets is that he didn't let Stonewall go and and rush uh, for victory. Wow! So, yeah. Wow! Yeah, that's that's very cool. You're definitely a, a student of history and understanding all of that stuff, both biblical and American history. So well, it's dicey cool. and it's not as easy as we think it is. Yeah, a, it's a, very histor- nuanced historical analysis, and then you read source material. When you mm-hmm. read material about history from modern sources. It seems like everybody claims to be the revisionist historian, mm-hmm. and then they'll throw stones at somebody that says the opposite. And what I found is that if you go to the original sources, it's it's best to go there and try to find works that were written during that time or close to that time, whatever it is that you're you're studying, 
and then read broadly and then try to assess the information and, yep. and bring it in. But yeah. uh, it can be difficult. It really yeah. can. Absolutely. Everything is nuanced in history and mm-hmm. you have to understand it. And it's even true in, in studying the Bible. We have to yeah. look at the contextual, what's going on, what what was going on at the time mm-hmm. to be able to understand what's being said. Yeah, that's good. So, that's good. Um, but we'll get into kind of our main topic um, mm-hmm. now that we're, we're kind of uh, everyone's familiar with who Jared Sparks is. But I know that you've been a very outspoken um, in the pastor um, position that you're in and mm-hmm. just, you have a podcast, um, yeah. shout out to uh, shepherd's crook. Yep. And, uh, you, you started this by wanting to equip other pastors That's right. Right? and, and give them uh, counsel and give them guidance in mm-hmm. some pretty difficult issues, especially in today's culture, because it seems like culture is pushing so hard and a lot of pastors are bowing to culture more Absolutely. than bowing to Jesus. And, um, we are um, we're in a really I think I, we think we're in a dangerous place when it comes to uh, the church and where we are with uh, the what I would call the progressive church where we're yeah. trying to we're trying to follow culture thinking that we're going to get more um, more appro- approval or appreciation from culture and the reality is is we're never going to get there because right. the the message of the gospel is is um, very offensive to yeah. culture That's and. Right. Um, so I wanted to go through kind of your what you think are the top five sins of the church, and we're talking big C church. We're talking the overall church. Right. What is the what are the biggest issues in the church today? So we'll start with number one, and uh, we'll kind of go back and forth. Yeah. And... Well, I'll say up front that you know I'm I'm not uh, I assess like with history what's going on through media. You mm-hmm. see what's going on through media, and then you have friendships and relationships in pastoral ministry that you know from different parts of the country and you just kind of bring in information about what's going on so when, when we talk about the top five sins we i think it, it would be appropriate to narrow this down to america and yeah. protestantism so yep. we're, we're catholic church aside you know catholic church aside <laughs> uh, we'll talk about protestant sins and also say that that we are very much as a church susceptible to this i mean this isn't uh casting stones because i think the temptations of what what i'm going to say here are in my heart, and also they're in the hearts of our pastors in our in our church, and then in our church as well. And so this isn't a, you know, Christ Church Carbondale. We we are not susceptible to any of this. We see what's going on, and we've got it right. We also walk. We, we have to walk with humility. And so I, I humbly submit these five sins. And uh, and like I said, I think that that I am also apart from the grace of God susceptible to these. And I think this is something that, number one, that I, I've really struggled with in the past and was set free in at the end of 2018. So the first sin that I recognized, and, and really everything else is splintered or a subcategory of this first in one sin, which would be a rejection of the authority of Scripture in all of life. And to flesh that out a little bit, when I was growing up and I was in college, I had uh, read some material and had a very almost Anabaptist, without knowing it, understanding of the authority of Scripture And the belief was that God's Word is authoritative for Christians and for the church, but not for those that stiff-arm God's Word and not for the civic realm. I had no frame of reference for how God's Word was authoritative everywhere. And in fact, one of the... um, you know, the, the first step stepping stones to liberalism is embarrassment with God's word, because Jesus says, if anybody's ashamed of me and my words in this evil of an, an adulterous generation, I will be ashamed of him before my holy father, before my father and the holy angels. And, you know, this uh, idea of being ashamed of what God has to say, there are so many because culture is nuts. I mean, clown, clown, clown world's crazy. Uh, there's so many things that are going on in our world today where we feel like if uh, we can soften this a little bit and if we can be a little bit wiser than God, 
my motives are to reach more people. And so I, I just want to be, uh, you know, wise, careful, and lean in and, and listen. And I want to be empathetic to those that are walking in sin and rebellion, that sort of thing. And then if I can just soften the blow of what God's Word actually says and keep God's Word restrained, and when somebody stiff-arms stiff God's Word, then just say, okay, I, you know, I, it's, this is for me, but not for you kind of thing. And I, I think that's a, a tragic error that the church makes. And I think uh, for me, preaching through Luke chapter 9 and seeing that Christians don't have the liberty to be ashamed. We can't, we can't say, I'm sorry, but this is what God says. That, that is not a posture that any Christian is allowed to take with any, you know, you're sitting around the dinner table and you know somebody's on the, you know, somebody's a leftist and they're, they're on the, the LGBT spectrum or something like that. And you know, if they're going to ask you a question that, you know, you're, you've got that moment where you're either going to shrink up, shrivel up and, uh, and do so with the motive of, I'm just going to love them and, and I'm not going to say what needs to be said. At least that's what you convince yourself. Of. Yeah. Or you say, this is what God has to say. And this is, a, this is high rebellion against God. And which is what sin is, is rebellion against God. And uh, so I I think that's pervasive. I think everything that we're going to talk about from here goes back to the central point that there are people that believe, and I think this is what was exposed in the last three years, that churches believe that non-Christians can stiff arm God's word. And therefore, the authority of God is null and void over their life. And I think they certainly believe that about politicians and governments and, and civic rulers, elected and appointed officials. And so for me, it was eye-opening to realize yeah. it was freeing to say, like, wait a minute, I, I am never going to apologize for God's word. And that's really marked my life and ministry for several years because I don't want fellow believers uh, to walk in apostasy and be ashamed of what God says. I don't want that. Yeah, yeah, that is wow. That's that's definitely something that that I have seen as well. And it, you're right; it did happen about started about what 2020. You mm-hmm. really started seeing this kind of, and I think it's been festering for much longer. Oh yeah, I mean that. the foundations of this go back to liberty. I mean, it goes a long way. I mean, yeah. it goes way way back. Yeah. So that was all there. But what you see is like, oh, okay, wait. The foundations of of evangelicalism in this country, and even conservative Christianity in this country, what was exposed is, wait a minute, these foundations are rotten. They're crumbling. Mm-hmm. They're not going to sustain the building, and things are about to implode. And that's what you see. Yeah, we're seeing a harvest yeah. for what was planted decades ago. That's right. Um, that's right. And I think that what we're seeing is that the church doesn't know what quite to do with it, mm-hmm. and we're so we're thinking, oh well. I just had a conversation with somebody about people asking in the churches, well, um, is is homosexuality a sin or is it a conviction? And I'm like, if you're asking that question. You're not reading the Bible. Right. And we we have these churches that are affirming now, mm-hmm. that are that are jumping in with both churches. feet. Yes, churches. <laughs> we would definitely say that. That that that's not that's not biblical. That's no. not at all anything. It's very clear. It's no it's no more biblical than a man cheating on his wife or mm-hmm. anything like that. It is it is a sin and we have to call out that sin. The divide has been struck. We we no longer can sit in the middle, I yep. think, as Christians. Um, we can stand on the edge of that divide and we can call people over. You yeah, know, well, and, and, and we can't feel sorry for people in sin. Right. We have to call them out of sin. Yeah. And for gay people in, in particular, anybody that's in sexual rebellion, it doesn't do them any good to feel sorry for them. We are all in the same boat having to deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow yep. Jesus. So join the club, man. Everybody's got sin to, to deny. Yep. Everybody's yep. got something that they've got to suppress. They've got to mm-hmm. push down. And for some reason, the church has, has felt sorry for people that, walk, that are walking in sexual rebellion and even apologized to them. And the reality is it's the gay community that needs to apologize to God and to God's people. Yeah. 
And they are the ones that are living in an offensive manner. And it doesn't do them any good to say it any other way. Yeah. In the same way, you said, you know, a man or a woman living in adultery, we wouldn't apologize to them for how much nope. the church has done, you know, to harm those that are living in adultery. Yeah. We would say, you need to quit it. You need to stop. And I'm going to love you enough to tell you that you're just like every other sinner out there, that you've got to repent of your sins, trust in Jesus, and then deny yourself like yep. all of us. Yep. You're not special. And to pretend like we've got a lot to learn from the gay community or something like that is offending God. Mm-hmm. And it's offending God's people. Yep. They have much to learn from us. Yep. And we've got to be humble enough, not prideful in saying yep. this, humble enough to say it. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So I think that foundation is definitely is definitely obvious throughout the church that we have this, in not all churches, but a lot of churches just have this not, they, they don't think, they don't bow to the authority of scripture like we should be. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, let's move to the next, your next um, sin that we would talk about in the overall church. Yeah. So friendship with the world would be mm-hmm. number two. James 4, 4 says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And many in the modern church have disguised friendship with the world by calling it relational evangelism or calling it outreach or calling it, we want to be uh, either winsome or we want to be compelling. We want non-believers to come in, whatever it may be. What we do is we we become fr- we want to be uh, known and respected by the world and friends with the world. So we put Christian language upon that. And what the Bible is clear about is that the way of the world is led by the devil. The devil is not the ruler of the cosmos. He is not the ruler of this world in the sense that he's sovereign over this world. But he is ruler of the way of this world. In the way of this world, we are at complete. We are diametrically opposed to one another. Absolutely. We want to honor God and do what He says. The way of the world is about uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil, uh, the unholy trinity there, are, are after the souls of people. Um, but to try to lean in as if Christians can make Christianity compelling to a non-believer and do things their way so that they'll lean in and think, <laughs> ooh, yeah, Christianity's cool. Yeah. And there is this weird thing within, uh, within pastoral ministry. I've seen it for years. I've been around pastors for a long time. There is this weird thing where we think that non-Christians are going to enjoy coming to church or that we can do something that can make a non-Christian comfortable at church. We can package the right. the church Put it in a way that we have a rock yep. concert and a TED Talk. Exactly. And we sit there and we expect that the world's yep. going to like the message that we... And it's a, it's a fundamental... This one thing, John, this one thing changes so much about what we think about what is the church, what is the mission of the church, what's the role of the church. And it goes back to this. The, the church gathering, the Lord's Day gathering, is not for non-believers. It, the, the, it's the assembly of the saints. Mm-hmm. We recognize 1 Corinthians 14. There's an acknowledgement that when we're in church that a, an unbeliever, a non-believer, an outsider, it's called, an outsider is gonna, could, could be present. But we're not doing things to entertain the outsider. We're not doing things to make things compelling or understandable to, to them. We're not, you know, the flip side of that is we're not doing things intentionally to repulse somebody. Right. We want them to know, the, know we want them to know and follow, follow Christ. But we're not first thinking, what what's a non-believer think? Because... The Lord's Day gathering is not about evangelism at all. Right. Evangelism happens, but it's about the glory of God and the edification of the saints. We mm-hmm. come together for the one another's of Scripture. We encourage one another. We come to contribute, not just to consume. And this is not a, a good and service, a goods and service thing that we kind of have different options that we can go out and and then I like that and don't like that. So you know what I like, what I enjoy the most. That's where I'm going to end up landing when it comes to a church or whatever. Uh, but we're not think the, the church is not called to think about the non-believer that's present. That, that day. Uh, we send the church out on mission 
we don't send the church out on mission just to bring them to the Lord's Day gathering. We come together on Sunday mornings to do what God has prescribed us to do and honor Him. And we don't have a buffet of things that we can do just to try to, to try to make Christianity compelling. And when we think that, uh, Spurgeon talks about there's going to be a day when the clowns are going to enter, that, that, that the clowns are going to en- end up entertaining the goats. And that, I think, is a prevalent observation 150 years ago of what uh, market, you know, con- consumer church or, or um, a marketing-driven idea of what church is becomes. And it just becomes a whole entertainment industry trying to get non-believers to think Christianity is cool. And it's another thing. We, I've said the word high rebellion. It's high rebellion mm-hmm. against God. Yeah. I think that we have, a, we have an issue with corporatization in the church as well. Absolutely. We are, we are, we are trying to run churches like a business, mm-hmm. and we're trying to— our, our, We have, in my job, my, in my regular job, we have things called key performance indicators. Well, mm-hmm. the number one of the modern church key performance indicator is not how many people we are uh, shepherding and pastoring and bringing into, you yeah. know, not how many souls are being saved. It's how many numbers we're getting in. Yeah. And I think that that, that is a— detriment to the message of the gospel and a detriment to culture because we're we are so consumed with how many how many butts we have in the seats on Sunday mornings mm-hmm. and we don't we don't ever think about how are we supposed to be conveying the message of Christ to people well i think there's a drive to have measurables you want to have yep. measurables and i think in the business world and you know it takes a real it's a real um it is a really difficult thing to take business principles and apply them to the church because they're not the same thing. It mm-hmm. feels like apples and apples, but it's not. It's it's apples and airplanes. I mean, they're yeah. two totally different yep. things here. And because we have budgets, because we have some legal things behind the scenes, mm-hmm. it makes it easy for for churches and pastors to think that this is just a, you know, the, the, these are the best practices. We've we got an HR department or we've got whatever it may be mm-hmm. that is you know the typical thing in the business world we've got to adopt that and then you know look we'll you know manipulate it a little bit for our context or circumstance and then to say are we succeeding every church wants to know are we are we succeeding but the the problem is uh, with biblical christianity is there's so many things that are that are they're not on the measurement board because what you're doing when you're sending god's people out on a sunday morning is you're trusting that they're doing things behind the scenes and they're not advertising it that they're humbly serving god and others and they are helping their neighbor, mowing their neighbor's yard when they go on vacation, or they're helping the widow that's in their neighborhood, and they're not announcing it to the, to the elders. You can't measure that right. because godliness demands that we don't announce on the street corners our prayers or our good deeds. Mm-hmm. And by doing that as a church or an individual, we actually are gaining our reward, which is the praise of people. We don't want that. We want the praise of God. And so, so much of what what is is honoring to God is behind closed doors, therefore not measurable. Wow. And what we often do is create an environment where people can be really good church members, but they're actually not Christians at all. Right. They're not godly, but they're really good spoke in the wheel of a machine. Yep. And if you're really good spoke in the wheel of a machine, but you're missing proper godliness, then that's not a win for the church, and it's not a win for you know, uh, it's not a win for God. It's not a win for God. I mean, it's not honoring of God. It's it's, yeah. it's dishonoring. Yep. Of yep. God. Uh, moral pagans. Yeah, that's that's what we're that's what right. we're looking at, and we I think there are a lot of moral pagans in the church because you know we've been taught that those are the good people, you know, mm-hmm. and and that's that's such a it's a lie. Yeah, it's an absolute lie because yeah. you're not living biblically. You're just letting your good deeds speak for whatever you want, you know. So. Yeah. So moving on to number three. Yeah. So what's number three? Well, I have, uh, and it is related. It's man centeredness. 
So man-centeredness, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the teachers, the scribes, they longed for the glory that comes from man. The glory that comes from man. There is a glory that comes from man that scratches an itch within us. Mm-hmm. Wanting people to like us, wanting people to think that we're cool, wanting to have a, a, a good public persona or perception. There is something that's uniquely different that, you know, the Bible demands in First Timothy chapter 3 that the elder would be well thought of by outsiders. And I think that can be so easily twisted to, instead of being a man of principle and ethics towards outsiders, to becoming the kind of person that uses the all things to all people to be a chameleon, to, to, to dishonor God, to honor people. Mm-hmm. And loving, being obedient to God or, or honoring God or loving people never requires ever, loving people never requires disobedience to God. Um, being kind to people, doing what God calls you to do, to, to love God and to love other people, never requires you to 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 neglect that first piece, which mm-hmm. is, is love of God. And uh, so with man-centeredness, what I mean is, is the, the central fo- focus in every historical catechism in the Protestant tradition gets to the heart of why we're created. And it's a question that I ask in college, and I think many people ask today, not knowing why we exist. And it's, why did God make us? And that's a very easy answer that people shouldn't be wandering around in the dark trying to figure out mm-hmm. or even going through the scriptures and saying, okay, we're, we're in the world. Why am I created? Because God has created us for his glory. That's why we exist. We ask our que- the catechism questions to our, to our children. Uh, who made you? God. Why did God made you, make you for his glory? And why did God make you in all things for his glory? He made everything for his glory. And when it comes to the Sunday morning gathering, then when we, and as it's related to the, the second point in friendship of the world or, or making, uh, you know, evangelism about friendship of the world is you turn everything into to being about people. And so much so that this man-centeredness turns the cross into a statement about our glory or our worth. Women's conferences are the worst. I mean, just in general, if they're all about the worth of God and or excuse me, the worth of, 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 it's always about value. It's like, you know, okay, yes, you're valuable. You're creating the image of God. Okay, can we move on to something else? <laughs> right. And That's milk. Let's get to yeah, the meat. Come, come on. <laughs> so. But it even turns the cross into this message of, look how much God loves you. You're worth this much. And the cross is not about, it's not a man-centered cross. That is not the gospel of Jesus, that you are worth so much that Jesus would die for you. The cross doesn't declare your worth. It declares the worth of Christ. Absolutely. It shows you your sins. It shows you, this is what I deserved. This is God's wrath. I have merited this with my life. I've merited what Jesus is taking from me, which is God's wrath. So if you weigh your life in the scales here and the balances here, what have I earned? It's not that you're so worthy that Jesus came to die for you. It's that you have rebelled so much against God. You have sinned so much against God um, that this death on the cross is this wrath that Jesus took for you was required for you to be justified for you to be right with God. And so that great exchange that happens on the cross is that Jesus, the life, the perfect life that Jesus lived, he lived in your place. This is a substitutionary life. So the gospel of Jesus defined is the substitutionary life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on behalf of sinners to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a, a statement about what is the gospel. And mm-hmm. and it's it's all about him. It's not about us. And so this narcissistic itch that the world is demanding from the church gets scratched by the church by even going as far as making the cross about them. It's it's about your worth. And we are in a self-obsessed world. It's Ooh, a narcissistic yeah. world. It is the virtue of the day. And the church, in trying to scan what, what's popular, okay, self-love's popular, okay, we're going to make some self-love thing over here, and we'll even turn the gospel into a self-love 
message. Mm. And it's the exact opposite. Yep. Yep. I think we have, we have allowed culture to lead us instead of being counterculture or, or giving culture an example to lead mm-hmm. like that or to follow. It's, it's, it's such a, it's such a strange time that we live in, you know, a selfish, everything is selfish. Oh, absolutely. Like you just said, we are, we're sitting where even in the church, it's like, what am I going to get out of this? It's mm-hmm. not, it's not, can I come into church and give glory to God? It's like, well, what am I going to, what message am I going to get out of it? And I'm not saying that we don't get messages that we yeah, can carry we, with we us. Get fed, we need to be fed. Yes, absolutely. But it's the reason that we gather together is mm-hmm. to give praise and glory to God. Like you yep. said, that, that meeting that Sunday morning is specifically for us to give glory to God. Yep. And the other six days or six and a half days, six and three quarter days are when we should be living out those things in the world and mm-hmm. not, not adhering to that selfishness that we see in the world, because everything is about my truth. Now, everything yep. is about, right. you know, my, my, what, what do I think about this? And, and we're not, we're missing the mark. If we, if the church is, is, um, ascribing to any of that stuff, mm-hmm. we're completely missing the mark. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the more glorious something is, the more seductive a false gospel it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you think about that, the pinnacle of creation is mankind. It's the male and female creating the image of God. Narcissism, therefore, in a, within a person who's rejected God, the most natural thing to worship is the self. Because it's the most glorious thing in creation. Mm-hmm. And so Romans 1 talks about the suppression of the truth. And we suppress the truth. We know God exists, but we deny him and his power. And we worship created things over creation. Or cre- cre- created things over creator. And the, the again, the pinnacle is the self. So narcissism makes sense in a godless worldview. And when you have secularism, which is a religion, mm-hmm. the the epicenter of worship in, in a secular society is going to be the self. And that's what we see. Mm-hmm. It's self-love, self-care, self-forgiveness. You gotta, just got to forgive yourself. All this kind of stuff. Uh, there's an element of, of you know, the, the real version of that is you have to understand that your sins are forgiven. And you, you have to understand that Jesus took the burden of your sins, all of them, past, present, and future. So you've got to walk in that forgiveness. Mm-hmm. But the, the maniacal, demonic version of that is you can forgive yourself. You don't need God to do that. Yep. And the greatest thing you need is to love yourself. And that is the opposite of the Christian message. Yeah. And, you know, the devil and pulling these strings and the self-help book has become the self-love book. And the church has come along right in step and turned almost everything into a message about you. Yeah. And we got to get over ourselves. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I think that the biggest lie uh, is the, the biggest lie that's going on, especially um, on mm-hmm. if you get on social media or any of that kind of stuff and try not to consume very much of that if you could all at all possibly avoid it. But it's all about self-care. It's all oh, about absolutely. self-love. It's all about, you know, my truth and and. That's honestly this the sin of of uh, transgenderism and all of that stuff is rooted in that as well. Is that yeah, like, and it's, I don't believe that God created something good. I don't believe that God created me the way that I'm supposed to be. So I'm going to change that. Yeah, so. absolutely. And the the insidious thing about that too is that, and this is the same way, by the way, controversial hot take here uh, with Christian couples that get married and refuse to have children. It's the exact same sin as those who are committing an abortion or those that are walking in same-sex sins. It is saying to God, I will not bear fruit and multiply. I will not do what I was created the to do. The first commandment. That Absolutely. Man. And so the, this cultural mandate, dominion, forget it. We'll let everybody else do that, but I'm not going to participate. I'm going to live for myself. Mm-hmm. And a failure to the church to address those sins as well, to call people up out of those basic forms of, of selfishness, to say, I'm going to rebel against God says what God says to do what I 
say yep. and what I want, and I'm going to do it in God's name yeah. because of His grace. Uh, God's grace enables me to rebel. You're like, no, no, no. The, the The Bible is clear. Just because God's grace abounds, we are not to sin all the more that it might abound all the more. Yeah. We're to walk away from sin. Yeah. And, and that's the call of every Christian is to do that. Yeah. But it's this narcissism uh, that continues to get, the, 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 the flames continue to burn hotter and hotter. And it's not just the ladies, because the, the, the lady mom culture on Instagram is all about the self and taking mm-hmm. care of yourself and all this kind of stuff. It's like, man, and calling people to, to not deny themselves or sac- live sacrificially. It's like, man, joy is found on the other side of self-denial. It's found on mm-hmm. the other side of sacrifice. This isn't about, it's about laying your, your life and your preferences down and letting your life and preferences be shaped where you actually enjoy obedience, where, you're, where your sacrifice doesn't feel like sacrifice anymore. It feels like joy. Yeah. It's like, I actually want to do what God has yep. called me to do. Exactly. I want to live this way for my family. Yep. I want to live the, the, this way for the world. But uh, but yeah, it, it's a, what, what does the world want? Narcissism. Okay, we'll give it to them. Yep. And that's not helpful. Yep. And it's, it's very, very obvious because more and more people in the world are, I think they said something, it's 50 plus percent in the United States are on um, antidepressants. Yeah. I same. mean, it, it's, it's, it's insane. And that comes from the selfishness. Mm-hmm. It is, it is wanting more for yourself and not giving of giving to others because a lot of people <laughs> that have, that have come out of that depression will say it's, it's really about getting in there and doing things for others that yeah, actually, right. that actually inspires you and, and makes you feel joyful and makes you feel fulfilled because if you're just focusing on yourself constantly, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a lonely place yes. you end up because all you have is yourself mm-hmm. and that's a lonely place to be and yes. that leads to depression anxiety and eventually just dark dark places that can lead to even death mm-hmm. yeah yeah so moving on so i think we're on number four right. what is what is number four it is the rot of feminism mm. feminism is absolutely destructive and maybe one half of one percent of pastors in our day are talking about it yeah that's true. So egalitarianism is the rejection of God's purposes in creating both the man and the woman. And the man and the woman should both want to know everything that God has commissioned them to, prohibited them from, and restricted them from. Mm-hmm. So the men should want that. Every man should want to lean in and say, God, what do you have for me? And what have you have you prohibited me from? And then what have you limited me from? I, I, I just can't do it because of natural. I can't have a child. Mm. I play my Hot part. Take. Yeah, I can't have a child. Okay, so there's natural limitations there. Yeah. But everything he's called me to, I want to know. And we have so pandered to women. And so many pastors are terrified of women that we don't speak to them plainly as God does. And so when we get to passages that, that give any sort of commission or prohibition to women or any sort of limitation to women, we hide. We shy away. We act like we're going to scare all the women. And the real women want the truth. They want to be told, tell us what God says. Don't yes. apologize. And we've got to see a church full of ladies that in our church and, and my wife and all of our ladies there that really, really want to know what God has to say, as they should. Uh, feminism, every wave of it, is evil. The yeah. Sheologians have a really good four-part series on this. And if you just go back and look at the roots of, of feminism, even back into the 18, the, 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 the kind of the 1860s, 70s, and moving forward, 
you know, it's, it's like people think that women finally started getting treated right after feminism today. Finally, women can take their clothes off like Beyonce. Right. They're free. Finally, women can act like the worst of men. Yeah. They can be promiscuous. They can go out and have all the sex that they want to have with no repercussions because they can go out and murder their baby. And which is another sin of America's yep. child sacrifice, yes. which we were not even talking. I mean, that's yeah. like the biggest one is child, yep. child sacrifice. <laughs> you, know, you jot down things that you, you're thinking of, of top sins. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the failure to address child sacrifice. Yeah. Um, and, you know, these ladies or apologize for the women that are doing that. You know, like, oh, well, the women are, are victims, too. No, they're, they're murdering their child. Yes. They're not victims. I don't feel sorry for, for murderers. I want them to repent of murder. <laughs> and yes. No, Jesus. But. Uh, Men from the 1850s, you can think about the Second Great Awakening forward, the men in the pulpits became male women, where they were very pacified and very sympathetic, and they reject, they, they, did, they failed to reject false teaching and false mm-hmm. teachers uh, about the roles of men and women. And mm-hmm. as soon as you start saying that men and women are the same, you fail to see that that God you you once you, once you take that feminist position you actually rob men and women of what God says is no you're more than than equal you're not yeah. just equal you are so much more than that you are equal and a man you are equal and you are a woman mm-hmm. and that is so that's that's beyond equality so if you strip the uniqueness and you take away the male's role in his home the church and in the world and the woman's role in the home, the church, and in the world, then you are robbing from both men and women what is their due glory assigned to them by God. Yeah. Yep. And we're we're seeing that more and more. It, it's almost like we're on a um, we're on a. It's just it's like a snowball effect. Mm-hmm. We're seeing it just more and more, and it's starting to seep into the church in a really really dangerous way. Because I do think that that pastors overall in in in, in America are afraid to address those things with women. It's like you, you <laughs> I use an example of a Mother's Day and a Father's Day. The message yeah. on Mother's Day is moms are great, and you do so much for your kids. And the message on Father's Day is you need to be a better dad. Mm-hmm. And it's like this is. This is completely, we should be admonishing both and teaching both how to be the role, how to fit the role that God has created them to be. Because Mm -hmm. right now we have a failure of men to lead. Yeah. And we have, and and women are failing at leading because it's not their, it's not their natural place. And we are in a dangerous place because the church is not addressing this. Yeah. Well, the Bible is patriarchal and we shouldn't shy away even from that language. Patriarchy means father rule. Mm -hmm. And God has designed men and fitted us specifically bigger and larger to protect our wives physically Mm -hmm. and with minds that are more adapt, not that women can't understand theology, but men have been fitted at the brain level to think deeply for a long period of time about how to put a rocket into space. And they'll smoke cigarettes and drink coffee until it gets done. Yep. They won't sleep, one track, focused mind. Yep. That's what they're focused on. And they can't think about or focus on anything else. And God has particularly fitted the male mind for leadership in the home spiritually. And, uh, you know, because that's been neglected by men, the answer isn't, well, women need to step up into that. No, men need to step up into that and stop saying, well, I just don't read. Yeah, They don't need to do that because God has designed them to lead spiritually in the family. And so you look at the rage of the... Everybody rages against the patriarchy. And Mm -hmm. there's two big reasons that people rage against the patriarchy. Number one, people are angry at their father for not being there. And number two, they're jealous of those who have a good father. Yep, They see it. They want it. They long for it. And what people who are raging against the patriarchy don't understand is they're longing for it. They're yeah. And they're showing everybody how much they want it. Yep. 
We need it. Rise of the patriarchy. We need it desperately. And yep. women need it. Yeah. We need we need men to stand up and fulfill the role that God has created them to do yep. and stop being weak and stop, you know, shying away from those things, but to shoulder the load. Yep. We, because we're going to be right. held accountable for it regardless of, of whether we do it or not. God's going to hold us re- accountable for not taking our responsibility as yep. well as taking it. And we've got to stop saying, we, we've got to be able to say to the, to the ladies, ladies, your primary place is at home. And you don't need to be going to work for other men. You have a household to work for. And it doesn't mean you can't work outside of the home. But it does mean your, your first question shouldn't be, well, can I work outside of the home? Can I? Your first question should be, uh, I'm thankful that God has assigned the, the primary, my, giving my primary and best efforts are to the home, to the mm-hmm. household. And then out of that, if there is margin and if there's a particular job or if it's a particular season, then it, the Bible does not forbid a woman from working outside of the home, but it does forbid the working woman working outside of the home if her home is not primary. Right, and the home has to be primary. And we got to stop, you know, being ashamed of the uh, the call of ladies to primarily be workers at home. It's Titus chapter two, and yeah. and, and we that's another thing that we we could be embarrassed about uh, or not be. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, ladies don't need to be preaching. They don't need to be teaching on the Sunday morning. They don't need to be yep. teaching men. They don't need to be, uh, you know, trying to grab for positions that they're not intended for. And again, the real women know, well, yeah, why would we want to do that? God has prohibited us from that. In the same way that, uh, you know, if a man was like, uh, well, it's just not fulfilling to me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. What would we say to that guy? We'd say, well, John, well, guy, so? doesn't matter if it's fulfilling to you or not. <laughs> yeah. And when a lady says, well, it's just not fulfilling for me to do what God's called me to do. It's like, well, so do it anyways. You're, you don't get to opt out because it's not fulfilling to you. Yeah. Uh, honor God and watch him change your desires. Yeah. God calls for us to obey. Yeah. And if we obey, it's it's really, it starts to snowball into a positive thing. Yeah, absolutely. Like we feel, you know, we feel more fulfilled by those things, you know, and it's heard, just important. I heard a pastor years ago and he said, I, he was using an example of switching from drinking soda to water. And he never liked drinking water, always liked drinking soda. He just drank soda and drink soda and drink soda. And what happened in his mind is if I can just give this a month, if I can just start drinking water, then I can break this habit. But he, he what he said was after a month, I actually started liking water. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed drinking the water. And so your, your desires can change. They can be molded into the design in which God created you to be and walk in and what he's fitted you for. Yep. And I think uh, the the humble courage to just say, okay, I'm going to obey the Lord and I'm going to trust the Lord and and I'm going to deny myself yep. because that's what God calls me to yep. do. Yep. Denial of self is a huge thing. And I think it's something that's completely missing specifically in a little bit of a side note here for men. Uh, we talked about this in our last episode of finding those things that that are weaknesses mm-hmm. and for men specifically, we need to find our weaknesses and we need to lean into them and mm-hmm. turn them into strengths, yeah, you know? And, and I think that, you know, me, I have a natural, a natural desire to hit the weights and, and, and I hate running, but I'm starting to run now. <laughs> and, and, um, and to play sports or to be involved in, to, to research things that are in the political world. That's something that I naturally like to do and even yeah. theological things. I love yeah. that, that nerding out on that stuff. But, um, 
I have some some weaknesses that I have to that I need to lean into. Mm-hmm. I don't specifically like to read. You just talked mm-hmm. about this, and so now I'm trying to get to where I'm reading every day. Yeah, you know, well, we live and, in an interesting day for those that don't. They're not particularly. They don't just enjoy reading. Listen to it. Yeah, listen to it on double and speed that, and you can power through some stuff. Quickly. And that's what I'm doing. Okay. You know, I have an Audible account. I listen to mm-hmm. books while I'm working, and um, those things really do inspire. I do like actually sitting down, listening, and reading at the same time, engaging mm-hmm. as many senses as possible possible. And, um, that's, that's a really cool thing, but find those things. So everybody, you know, people don't have the same weaknesses and the same, the same propensities for certain sins. Some guy may have a sin, it may, may be suffering from the sin of gluttony, you mm-hmm. know, and, and it needs to lean into that needs to yeah. actually fix those things. And, and it can be stuff that's in the physical as yeah, well absolutely. as the spiritual. Yeah. And I think to become a well-rounded man, we, man, we have to lean into our weaknesses and make them strengths over time. It takes a that's long so time. Good. And I think there's a lot of things about, about just permission to think through theology applied you guys did an episode about not disregarding politics i forget the title mm-hmm. yeah uh, don't, don't don't cast away politics yeah or, uh, don't what was it no i can't remember don't disregard or, don't uh don't uh, check out a politics don't check yeah. out yeah. yeah and for years i was like that and christian men are historically men have thought through theology and they thought through theology applied what does this mean that god's word is authoritative everywhere and they have thought in the civic realm it's like this huge psyop to, to say that christians don't belong in politics or something like that like literally our, our our country was founded upon uh people who loved god's word and wanted to see the civic order the civic realm be shaped by what god has to yep. say and men have to have that kind of permission as well to mm-hmm. think through that like to be a well-rounded man is to think through the fact that God, civic laws are doctrinal statements mm-hmm. from a culture. They're telling people, they're imposing their morality upon us. Mm-hmm. And is that morality right or wrong? And every doctrinal statement in every city and every county and every state and in this nation is a declaration to people, here's our statement of faith, here's what's right and wrong. And here's what's crazy. You know, the federal law books have something like 50,000 federal law books in the code. And for some reason, we think that's less oppressive than even the Old Testament 633 laws that we have. Mm-hmm. We're like, wait, it's God's law that's oppressive here? Like, come on, really? And so I was so glad to see you guys cover that topic because I think guys need permission to think through God's word. And, you know, in, in this area of politics, they're looking out in the world and saying, I think God has something to say about that. You know, this Iowa just put a satanic shrine up mm-hmm. and they're thinking through, okay, I don't think I should like that. And I think we should do something about that. And that shouldn't be permitted. I don't think drag queens, queen story hours should happen. And they're trying to, to answer those questions by the scriptures. And I think the church has shamed them for far, mm-hmm. far too long. And the well-rounded man has always thought in the civic realm and pursued those things, at least thought deeply about those things and about theology. And so I think for both men and women, we need to think deeply in, in the ways that God has called us to. Well, and, and I don't think anybody would actually shame a man from if somebody broke into his house and was trying to rape his wife or kill his children, mm-hmm. if they would, they would, they would, uh, ridicule him for, you know, fighting back or killing the person that's doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, how is that different from protecting our children against, evil in the world oh, absolutely. or our family against evil yep. in the world. It's no different, yep. but we make it different yep. because for some reason we compartmentalize and we think that we can compartmentalize what's going on out in the world and how it's affecting us, but it's going to affect us. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. And if we sit idly by and stay asleep at the wheel, 
what's going to happen is one day we're going to wake up and we're not going to real we're not going to recognize anything. Yeah. And then we're going to be fa- we're going to be dealing with stuff like, hey, we're taking your kids away because you're teaching them wrong doctrine. Yeah. It's That's not right. state doctrine. You yeah. Know? Yep. And it's all because we have checked out of that. The enemy's not going to stop. They're not going to stop the assault. No. If we stop fighting back, then we're just surrendering that ground. Well, Jesus said, I mean, a part of the Great Commission is all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. It's now mm-hmm. the same authority that Jesus has in heaven he has on earth. Mm-hmm. He has all authority. And Jesus is Lord. And more and more guys are coming to the realization that Jesus is Lord of America, whether they recognize it or not. And they've got to bow the knee now or later. Mm-hmm. But I'm on the right side of God, the right side of history, and I'm not the revisionist here. You know, mm-hmm. it's everybody else out there that's saying, oh, they were all deist, and this is, they wanted this, you know, principled pluralism and all this kind of stuff. That's nonsense. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely, it, it is, it's preposterous. It's what you said earlier. Going back, read the original writings of Thomas Jefferson and yeah, George Washington absolutely. and Benjamin Franklin. Yep. It, it, like, a lot of the stuff that they wrote could be preached from a pulpit in yeah. a lot of ways. Absolutely. You know? Well, there were blasphemy laws from George Washington in his army. You know, people say, you know, you're cussing like a sailor. Uh, the Revolutionary War, <laughs> our army fighting for George Washington could be court-martialed for violations and using profanity. Wow. For using profanity. There were blasphemy laws. And from Washington to his, his army. And soldiers aren't known to have, you know, for having the best mouth. I mean, you were in the military, <laughs> yes. you were in the Air Force, so they, it wasn't necessarily squeaky clean. Yeah. No. But in Washington's army, it was. And if you blasphemed God or if you used profanities, you would hear about it and you could get uh, court-martialed for it. That's crazy. I did not know that. Yep. That is that is interesting. Yep. Um, that is, wow. How far we have come as mm-hmm. a culture and a society from, from our founding. And I think that, that that's really why the assault on those men is so strong is because yeah, they were trying to. Benjamin Franklin said this: "Is this this Constitution is for a moral and religious people?" Yeah, and the reason that we're seeing this decoupling mm-hmm. is because we're overall no longer a moral and religious nation. We don't have self rule. Yeah. We don't have self control. Yep. And when you don't have that, the answer always seems to be the state. Yep. Absolutely. And it just grows and grows and grows. Yep. All right. Final one. Let's let's yeah. hear it. The final one is statism. Uh, no. We uh, love the state. Boy. We honor the state. We yep. don't understand that God has given the keys of the kingdom to the church and he has given the sword to the state. And we have given over the keys of the kingdom to the state and said, are we allowed? Can we do this? Mm. And that has we we were so underdeveloped in our political theology for the last uh, three years. It, it was exposed so much that pastors were listening to the state to say, "Can we receive communion this week? Can we sing to God? Uh, can we uh, actually have our faces uncovered? Do we? Can we greet one another with a holy kiss? Can we pray for the sick and lay hands on the sick? Will you let us do that, O King?" And we didn't understand that uh, pastors are prohibited from social distancing. Christians can't social distance. Yep. We run to the sick, not away from the sick. We anoint the sick with oil. We pray for the sick. We greet one another with a holy kiss, side hug, or a fist pound. We have to touch mm-hmm. appropriately. Yep. And not, yes. not, not being a weirdo here. Yeah. Uh, but we we have to be in proximity. And we have to sing. God commands it. We are to sing to one another songs and hymns and spiritual songs. And if we're not singing the Psalms, we're not. This is this this is warfare for the people of God and against the evils of this world. And this is what God's people do when we come together. We have bowed to the state and said, "Here are the keys. 
the elders are supposed to have this in the church. They're supposed to have this, but we want you to not have this. And we, we didn't know the, you know, Abraham Kuyper popularized what's called sphere sovereignty. And so in his lectures in Calvinism, he was a statesman and a pastor, a theologian scholar, and phenomenal man. And he took basic Calvinism and then applied it everywhere. And his, his Kuyperian uh, sphere sovereignty is so helpful in thinking through the church or the, the home the church and the state and the delegated and regulated responsibilities that we have, the assignments from God and the prohibitions from God that we have in each of these different governments. When we think about government, we almost always think about the the civic realm, but that's not uh, all that God speaks of when it comes to, to government. And so we have these different governing bodies, and it's the home, the church, and the world, the father and the home, the church and, and its elders, and then your elected and appointed officials or your, your you know, king or queen if you're in a monarchy kind of mm-hmm. thing. And we have just bowed to the state, and this is also represented also in school choice. And this is a little mm-hmm. bit controversial. I know we make different decisions yep. when it comes to the schooling of our children, uh, but government schools are evangelizing our children and have been evangelizing our children away from Christianity for decades. Mm-hmm. And we keep running around like our heads on fire with evangelism outreach events and telling everybody about Jesus and doing one-on-one stuff and pleading with people to know Jesus and doing apologetic stuff and all this as, as we give our kids to the state. And we say, here, you educate our children. And Jesus says it explicitly, the, 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 the student will be like the teacher. And if they are indoctrinated by the state, which hates your children and wants them to be gay, and they want them to be sterile, and they want them to be fat, and they want them to be unhealthy, you may say, well, not my teacher. Okay, well, yeah, maybe not your teacher. But we're talking about, as a whole... The organizations sec- behind the teachers. The, the organizations behind the teachers and secularism is a religion. That's what we have to understand. That's what just the average normie in the church pew has to understand is that secularism is religious. Atheism is religious. Mm -hmm. And they have their evangelists, and they've been pummeling the church from the inside. Right underneath our noses. Right underneath our noses. All the while, we've got our numbers of how many people came to this outreach event. And it's like, yeah, but you're literally giving your children to the devil. And again, not every teacher, and my mother was a public school teacher, my father-in-law was a public school mm-hmm. teacher, but the government, the government loves seeing our children go to government schools. I mean, it's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we have got to be vigilant to take yep. back Educa- education. Formal education is not a human right. It's not a, a public right of the people. Uh, it, it is a privilege. And it is a require. Christian education is a requirement from fathers to their children, and they are allowed to delegate that to their to their wives, who is one flesh and on mission with him, but uh, or a good Christian school or something like that. But we live in a day, especially in a state, where the questions that you and your wife are going to be facing more and more. And I just talked to an administrator at a local uh, in this in this community or in the one community over, and I'd known him, went to high school with him, and he had been an administrator at a public school, a government school for for several years, and he just said, "I couldn't do it anymore. I could not keep telling these parents what they wanted to hear because I was lying to them." Yeah, and so he got out, and. Uh, you know, it's a question that every Christian parent must yeah. ask and answer. We raise our children one time. We can homeschool them or send them to Christian school. It does not guarantee that they're going to know and humbly walk before God and others. But I want to have a, a clear conscience. And God has told me, me, men, you are to raise your children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. You have to, the rule of law in your home is the law of God and then the rule of law in your home is the gospel of God. And you're going to have to have them around the people of God if you're going to be the man that God's called you to be. Yep. And uh, so statism is a massive problem, and it is an altar that we worship on, and we've got to repent. I know that I know that in 2020, 
there was a, this was when it became, and like I said earlier, this was the beginning of seeing the harvest of what's mm-hmm. been going on for years. We saw, and I think that in a way we were given a gift at the same time oh, yeah. when all of that shutdown happened because parents were stuck at home with their kids and they started to see what their kids were being taught in schools. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's what started this whole, this whole snowball of like, there are more and more people pulling out of public education. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think it's a good thing because I think it could give, there's been several states that have passed, um, laws that the money actually follows a student and if you want to homeschool you get the tax fund wouldn't that be great yeah let's let's get some of those property taxes back (laughs) right yes and i think that that's that's really where we should be pushing in the civic realm to get to Mm -hmm. of like we we don't want our kids to be indoctrinated by this give us the money we will educate our kids and you could have co-ops and and christian schools that, that that spring up over that we talked about this in our last episode that i think that that is going to become a very very prevalent thing in the next five years because we are seeing more and more that what the state is putting in our kids' minds mm-hmm. is is poison. It's cancer, and we yeah. are we are seeing that rot. But as far as the church goes, in that in that period of time, in in the twenty twenty when we did the shutdowns, yeah, I mean, I would I don't know the exact percentage, but I would say it was probably eighty to ninety percent of churches shut down. Mm-hmm. They and and in some states they allowed strip clubs to stay open. <laughs> I mean, what in the world? And uh, we didn't yeah. stand up. We didn't have any backbone. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying all pastors, but there were a lot of pastors yeah. that did not stand up and say, "No, we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. You're not. You're not our Lord, and you're not our ruler. We are commanded to not forsake okay. that assembling of That's ourselves right. together. Amen. We are commanded to um, to lay hands on the sick, to not run away from. Them. Do we really believe what we say? Mm-hmm. Do we really believe that the that God is going to protect us mm-hmm. from those things? And I know a lot of pastors, you know, they pushed the narratives that were going, that were coming from the state. And I know that the state specifically, I think that, who was it? Uh, Francis Collins, who was the head of the NIH at the time, is, is, is not a Christian in my opinion. No, absolutely not. And he, he professes that, but he is not a Christian because his actions speak Mm -hmm. completely opposite. And he went to the actually organizational church Mm -hmm. and partnered with them to get the churches to shut down. Yeah, what in kind of a with Christian would do that? Yeah, you're right. With Rick Warren and in in cahoots with the World Economic Forum, by the yes, way. Yes, yes. And like, we, this is we, all stuff that, that people are like, well, that's crazy. That, right there, people are like, well, that's crazy conspiracy. Like, this is documented yes. facts. Yeah, they, they, they're not hiding it. Yeah. That's the thing, is none of this is being hi- hid. It is being shown to us right in front of our faces. All you have to do is open your eyes. Yeah. And we see this this pressing down of the government trying to get the church and i in my opinion it was a test run yeah oh what 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 are we going to do we know we can get them to bow to this we can scare them into submission Mm -hmm. over something that is was Mm man-made and honestly in hindsight wasn't as deadly as they let on Mm -hmm. you know and we have all of these things that that are examples of the church just bowing the knee to the state and it's it's we are not, in my opinion, that is a sin. That is well, a sin in the church. And John, the sad thing about it is to see so many men talk against John MacArthur. John MacArthur in his old age fighting the mm-hmm. state of California, winning a massive lawsuit on the backside of this thing. And 
prioritizing gathered worship because God calls us to that and to see so many people pile on him yep. instead of standing in support to see the Southern Baptist Convention Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission Russ Moore and his Brent Leatherwood little minion that runs around uh, those guys instead of standing up for him or James Coates in Canada the Gospel Coalition writes an article against James, Co- James Coates and Tim Stevens in Canada and it's become a laughing stock. And young guys, man, I'm seeing so many young guys out there that are set free, that are not a part, that have stepped out of everything that's that's nuts mm-hmm. and are saying, I don't care if people call me a racist, homophobic, I don't care what they call me. We're gonna observe and say what the truth is. It does, does not it doesn't matter. Yeah. And um and then so many pastors just got in line with whatever the state said. And and I think back to the, the school question, John Dewey is a father of modern modern public schools or government school system. And one of the things he had said, I had a quote, I was going to pull it up on my phone, but my phone just died. But from the beginning, he had stated that if we can give them a secular uh, education, if we can keep them busy from seven in the morning until three and then keep them with extracurriculars after, that means that they're going to be limited to an hour or less with their, this is 280 years ago, they're going to be limited to an hour or less of time with their parents a day. And we can get rid of Christianity in this country in one one generation. That was his direct quote. Well, it's and, being su- it's being successful. Yes, it, it, is, it is. And uh, and so the failure to it, we have our eyes completely closed to the real problems as we are all in our business principles and all this kind of stuff. Again, running rampant, trying to to build the church and and evangelize and just the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next mm-hmm. thing. It's like, hey, bro, do family worship. How many of the guys in your church are doing family worship? You know right. and. That's what I want to know, and that's what I want to see in churches far and wide. And for every guy listening, are you doing family worship? Are you want to win the war? Do family worship tonight. Yep. And pray, sing, and read your Bible to your family, and do that every night. Yep. Do that every day. There's going to be weeks we probably, on average, do that five days a week. There's there's two days a week that we miss. Yep. Some days there's three days a week that we miss. But the average over the last I don't know five seven years has been probably five days a week of doing some sort of family worship, and it's like be a healthy church member, say no to people who are asking you to do what God has told you not to do, or they want you to do something that God has told you not to do, and watch God work. Like, yeah. Don't get a backbone. Yeah. Stop being a coward, effeminate dude. Yep. And watch God work. Yep. Uh, one one last thing I'd like to cover, and I think it kind of ties into a couple of the things, is is the overwhelming effeminate spirit that we're seeing in the church right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're seeing it, it snowball to where, you know, every, every person on the stage looks like a metrosexual dude, like <laughs> Harry Styles wearing a dress practically. It's, yeah, it's one of those yeah. things of, and I, I think it's something that needs to be addressed because you did a, you did an episode on the sin of effeminacy yeah, I did. Um, mm-hmm. a couple of, a couple months ago or a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and really good, but I would like you to get you to give some of the, some of the biblical, you know, the biblical backing of yeah. that, why that is a sin. Yeah. Well, in Romans, there's a list of sins that are mentioned, homosexuality being one of them. And, uh, or actually I think it's in first Corinthians and, uh, I think chapter six and the, there's two words. The NASB actually captures this well, where it says as for the, the effeminate, they will not inherit the kingdom of God for as for the effeminate and the, and the homosexual. And so the, the idea is both the passive and act, the passive and active agent in homosexual acts. And it's uh, the same word for soft. You're a soft man. A soft man is a sin for which Christ had to die, so it's not a sin that we can hold on to. Mm. So an effeminate man is a man that, very much like the first the, the, the man in Corinth wearing his long hair and not understanding his gender, having to be told to act like a man, act like men because they weren't, they, they had to be told how to do that. 
the effeminate man is somebody who talks like a woman, dresses like a woman, is very emotive, very emotional, wears their emotions on their sleeve. Uh, they want to uh, talk more than do. Not that you can uh, you can talk. I talk a lot. I'm a pastor. I mean, you know, <laughs> right. and, uh, Me too. <laughs> but they want face to face more than shoulder to shoulder. They want to. They want to. Um, they're just soft men. They're not courageous men. They avoid rather than confront, and yet they're not confrontational. There's a yep. difference in there with that. Um, they believe the truth instead of apologize for the truth. Uh, so it, uh, they apologize for the truth rather than believe the truth. Mm-hmm. And so this sin of effeminacy has to be repented of and then discipled out of. So the the man who acts like a woman, talks like a woman, talks with a lisp, needs to recognize this isn't right. I'm not embracing my gender. Mm-hmm. And then... I've got to move forward and I've got to step into it. It's not like you've got to beat your chest and go to the gym, but maybe you might need to beat your yeah. chest and go to the gym. And yeah. I tell you what, the gym has a way of, of making a man out of a boy. Yeah. And it's not not that somebody that's really strong in the gym is a man. There's something yeah. more to that. And I work through that. You know, the biblical virtues of manhood is worship, work, protect, provide, mm-hmm. lead, and love. This is what a man does. It's what a man is. And a man, uh, defining a man is, is a lot about the actions in which God's called them to do. And so uh, a man that is effeminate, uh, needs to repent of that and can't be held up as an example. Yeah, it is. Um, it, now, there's a difference between a, a repentant effeminate man that and an unrepentant effeminate man, and uh, those distinctions always need to be made with sin. There's the the kind of guy that's a naturally effeminate guy uh, that is saying, "I'm, I, you know what? These are things I'm repenting of, and I'm getting help." Mm-hmm. And then there's the kind of guy that's effeminate and proud of it, and yeah. and that is. You know, again, that that is sin against it's sin against God. It's sin that needs to be repented of. Yeah, yeah, and so and there should be a natural progression away from those sins. We should be mm-hmm. throwing those the anything that has to do with that away. If we're if we're on a it's it's like I recently said, works is not required for salvation. Yeah. We, but on the back end of that, once we achieve salvation, our works should show that. Absolutely, it's the faith Amen. without works is dead. Yep. The Bible says that straight out of Scripture. So after we are saved, we, we should see works. We should see fruit. We should see a progression towards sanctification. Yeah. Amen. And because so much of the church now is not preaching sanctification, we're not preaching um, to progress away from our sinful nature and to engage even in practical things mm-hmm. that, that get us away from that sinful nature, we are we are doing a disservice to people and we're leaving people exactly where they are. And a lot of times they're like, well, I guess I'll just head back out into the world. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a, it's a sad, sad thing because we are, we are doing a disservice to our congregations and to the, the church body by, by just leaving people where they're at and saying, you're fine there. Yeah. You're good. I affirm where, who you are. Well, and I think uh, in the last several years, there's been a rise of, of Christian patriarchy, but there's also been a rise of, a brand of eschatology that I ascribe to, and eschatology is one of those open-handed things where you can have a good conversation about it. But post a whole can of worms. To that's open right. Up. It is. <laughs> but postmillennialism is this idea that you know Christ, that that, uh, that Christ is reigning now, and what we do. I know everybody believes that what we do matters. We just talked mm-hmm. about that. But that the kingdom of God is here and now, and it is exp- expanding here and now, mm-hmm. and that Christ will have victory here and now, we aren't going to get pummeled. And there's going to be ebb and flow in history of of growth and decline or influence and decline within a culture. Uh, but over time, 
there's going to be more and more Christians. And when there's more and more Christians, the, the world gets better, not worse. Mm-hmm. And right now, there are more Christians than in the history of the world. I think 31% of the world population of 7.2 billion people claim to be Christian. Now, obviously, not all of them are Christian, but that, right. that percentage is on the rise. And we have to have a historical understanding of the growth of Christianity around this world, that, that God is at work, and there's good work for us to do. And if we have this, this idea, Christ could return tomorrow. We, we hope for that. Maranatha, mm-hmm. come Lord Jesus, come. But most likely, Christ is not going to return in our lifetime. Most likely. And could be wrong, but most likely he's not. And I want to be about the work of living for my great-grandchildren. I want to live with them in mind. And I want to build bigger barns, not so I can fold my hands and say, who shall these be? And just enjoy the bigger barns for myself. But I want to build a Sparks legacy by the grace of God that says, I'm going to build bigger barns. And I know who's exactly who those are going to be. Those are going to be my children and my grandchildren. And we are going to leave a mark for the glory of God. And if Christ doesn't come back for 2000 years, God, I want to see my legacy. I want to see my children know you. I want to see my grandchildren know Mm -hmm. you. I want to see my great grandchildren know you. And I'm going to make as much money if you're a businessman, you possibly can for the glory of God and for the sake of your family. And you're going to get as much power as you possibly can, because power in your hands is better than power than in a wicked man's hands. And you're going to do everything you can to see the kingdom of God advance and you need the freedom and the permission men to go get money and power not for selfish ambition but from godly ambition you need that and God calls you to that yep the pagans have too much of it you go get it yeah yeah I, I completely agree that's what is what is it in proverbs it says a godly man or a good man is someone that leaves an inheritance for his, his children's ch- children children's children and that is exactly what you just described Mm-hmm. So you're living biblically in, in out of scripture. That is something we are commissioned to do. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a good man, if you want to be a godly man, that is definitely something we we should be um, pursuing. Yeah, and um, I think it's it's a natural thing for for men to want to pursue, but we need to shoulder that mm-hmm. and step into it. Yep, Jared, it's been awesome getting to uh, discuss this. Fun. Um, <laughs> can be hot button and I'm sure we'll have some comments and all that stuff of people that may disagree with us, but that's okay. Yeah. I think we're speaking the truth of God's word. And I'd like to thank you for coming in Absolutely. and talking about this, being willing to talk about these subjects because there's a lot of guys that aren't. And, um, I, I really, really appreciate it real quick before we go. Um, I'd like to give you an opportunity to give a shout out. Where can people find you? Where can yeah. people find your content? And, um, you know, just give us your, uh, your, Contacts. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first and primary is, you know, we love being a part of Christ Church Carbondale. That's where we're at. And I know you guys are at a great church with a lot of great folks there. Mm-hmm. And and uh, we know a lot of similar people here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm just so thankful for the pastors I get to pastor with and the people that we get to do life with. And it's just so much fun. And so I try to always think first about local church ministry. And then beyond that, The Shepherd's Crook is a podcast that we do, uh, that I do. And it started off as a pastor, uh, a ministry to encourage pastors. And it kind of de- developed into a pastor courage ministry. Like, mm. let me just by, with the Lord's help, let's light a fire under some guys. Yeah. And then it, it went beyond that into just the things I enjoy. And I wanted to equip just normal, average church members. And so it's, it's really just for anybody and everybody at this point. Most of my listeners are men. Um, I also do a podcast with my boys about the process of raising sons into men. It's called Sons and Slaves. We are Mm -hmm. sons of our father and slaves of our master, King Jesus. And all through the power of the Holy Spirit are pursuing what it means to be a man and and to raise sons. And so we're going through rites of passages, and we're going through a book right now where we're uh, talking through just lessons on boyhood, and it's Mm -hmm. it's a lot of fun. So that's called the Sons and Slaves podcast. And then my wife does a phenomenal show that is, uh, you know, 
she does so so such a good job with it's called the fruitful and fearless podcast and it's for ladies and it's just bringing a biblical worldview of, of what it means to be a godly woman uh to the listeners and she does a great job with that and i'm on there sometimes with her but you can find that on youtube you can get uh, the shepherd's crook uh on podcast just open any cotton po- podcast mm-hmm. platform and search the shepherd's crook sons and slaves podcast or fruitful and fearless and you can find that content and i'll make sure and link that in the video description of this video so if you guys want to check out jared and all the great um, subjects and content that he has created over the last several years. Um, I would encourage you to do that. We thank you guys for coming to our first uh, inaugural interview on the Righteous Savages podcast. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Remember, as you go, carry Christ with you and act like you believe. Have a good day.